Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, as I've said, we're on a winning streak, and that streak continues this week with the fantastic, the wonderful Graham Parker. I love Graham. I think I have every Graham Parker album, just about, maybe missing only a couple. Um, one of the best singer-songwriters ever. And what I really thought was interesting about this conversation specifically was that I think people have a lot of assumptions or have uh, sort of defined what they think or who they think Graham is. They think he's a cult artist they, because he's he's always been, he's had a, a, a continual career, but without a bunch of highs and without a bunch of lows either, sort of consistent, you know? So I think we think of him as a cult artist. I think we think of him as like an angry young man. We think of him as having come from like the pub rock scene in the 70s in the UK. All of these things get debunked in here. Graham is very fiery sort of about setting the record straight on who he really is as an artist. And I love that that part of this conversation. I love it. I think Graham is special and I always have. And he's been around forever and he just released a live album called Five Old Souls. So if you don't have that, check it out. It's on Spotify. It's wherever. And we're really lucky because Graham was not going to do a bunch of interviews for this thing, but he agreed to talk to me and come on our show. I love him. I'm so grateful that he talked to us. And I hope if you guys don't know him or you know a few songs here and there, that you'll check out more because he's the best. He called me from his home in England. So, um, okay, I, I feel like I should kick this off with how I really became introduced to Graham Parker because I'm wondering if it if a lot of people have this story. And that is that, obviously, so I'm 47 years old, and in 1987, when the Rolling Stone magazine put out its best albums of the last 20 years, and you're on there twice with Howling Wind and Squeezing Out Sparks, and I, I was a very impressionable 14-year-old when that came out, and I... I just gobbled that. I still have almost, I still own that exact copy of the magazine and it became like a Bible for me. And yeah. uh, I just thought, who is this guy? And that I don't know a lot about and how, why is he in here along with the Beatles and Bowie and everybody else? And I was curious if, did you, I mean, did you know that was going to happen? Did you see a spike of interest after that? What was the, what was the effect of that? You know, I really can't remember if there was any spike oh. or not. What year did that come out again, John? 87, 87. 87. Well, the 80s were great for me in America, yeah. All, yeah. all over. I mean, which is kind of counterintuitive because 
you know, it was a different, the, yeah, everything was different from the yeah. 70s, quite radically. And, you know, the, the, the ethos was the more money you spend making a record, the better it'll be and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And uh, the, the image of Axe had moved, moved on accordingly. But, uh, you know, nobody seemed to blink in America about, mm-hmm. about me. And I, I, I guess I just thought, yeah, well, that's right. Howling Wind and Squeezing Out Sparks should be there. But it's it's interesting that you saw it and said, who the hell is this guy? Because somebody else, somebody I knew in in New York, a lady, she said, yeah, I saw your name at the top of the the Village Voice, the Paz and Jot poll, Uh uh which was a, you know, a big deal in those days. And said, "Who the hell is this guy? Why is he number one? I think it was, I think it was Heat Treatment, and then Squeezing right. Out Sparks as well, or Howling Wind was or something. And there was, who the hell is? Never heard of him, you know. Right. Um, so I've, you're not the only person who's, who's, you know, <laughs> who's found that. But anyway, you followed up on it, so that's really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, that was the uh, that kind of planted a seed that um, I, and then I went on to get." every Graham ha- uh, Parker album after that. And, um, but it, it was interesting. I've seen you live a couple of times too. And the first time was around early 2000, 2003, maybe you were, uh, I think promoting your country. When they come to take you down, when they bring that ray gun Come to call on you and drag your poor body down. There's just one thing I ask of you, just one thing for me. Please forget you knew my name, my darling, sugary. I was working for Tower Records at the time in their corporate office in Sacramento, and you came through San Francisco at the Cafe du Nord. And so I went over and saw that show. Right. And, okay. Yes. And I loved it. And then a few years ago, I live in Denver now, and you passed through Denver and you played this little bar kind oh. of like called the Lion's Lair. It was just <laughs> you and a guitar. <laughs> Do you remember yeah, this? Yeah, I remember it. I, I, I played it with actually uh, the Figs, a band yeah. that you probably know I've uh, uh-huh. used before as my backing band on tours. And I played it solo, I guess. You saw me yeah. solo, did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they'd moved the stage. It used to be behind the bar. Uh-huh. And I played with the Figs, I remember. The bar was in front of us. So the bar people were walking around in front of you serving people <laughs> who were like sat on there. And, I, and, and the time I played solo, I can distinctly remember the stage was in the corner. 
Uh huh. Um, yep. So I think that that's the time you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What a tiny little place. That's all. That's all I'm worth in Denver these days. <laughs> I don't think I'm even worth that now in Denver. It was <laughs> it was always a strange market for me up and down. You know, even with the rumor, we never packed them out in Denver, which was which was odd, really. Really. Um, because yeah, so many places. That, you know, you think that north, you know, Minneapolis and. You know, in Chicago, and I would have thought Denver would have been a match for us, but we never quite clicked, and and it's been up and down. So, but anyway, I, uh, that's about the right size of a venue yeah. to it, see me at. It was it, uh, it's, it, it got packed and it's had an atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, I was right uh, right there near the stage with my buddy Jeremy. In fact, Jeremy sent in some questions for me to ask you that I'll get to here in a little bit. But we, um, it was such a great night. You're always so much fun to see live because you're you're part of the fun is hearing your stories and your banter in between. And I I had to wonder, you know, you talk about different uh, crowd sizes and different venues or different uh, geographies being more successful than others. I feel I feel like you're one of the most respected and beloved ultra cult figures ever. You know, it, you're everybody loves Graham Parker, but you remain this t- small little niche and always has always has basically. Yeah. How, how are you? Are you you obviously, I guess, have grown to be OK with that. But did that take a while? Um, well, it didn't seem like that to me at all. Uh, I mean, uh, in the beginning, every record. The first four albums, everyone sold a bit more than the last, mm-hmm. which I thought was like a, a good, steady way of doing things. You know, not yeah. that it's in my hands. It's the way it was. Yeah. And every tour, we were playing bigger places. And my idea of stardom was playing uh, the Hammersmith Odeon, you know, mm-hmm. like 2,000 people, which mm-hmm. me and the rumor did for three nights and even nice. post-rumor two nights completely sold out. Yeah. And so I thought that was, you know, I've, I've seen – the biggest bands I've ever seen in those places. Mm-hmm. I never really thought in terms of if you don't make it to the stadiums, you haven't made it. Mm-hmm. I, it never, so it never occurred to me. You know, it's been a lot of years without even having to think of a day job. You know, yeah, yeah. So it's, but the the worst thing is, you know, the press are like they're still, oh, what a loser. You know, oh. how hard it must. Yeah, they're they're always like, oh, what a shame. It must be so tough. And I'm like. Oh. Jesus Christ, what, what, you know, how much do you need? How much <laughs> stuff do you need? As right. I sang in a song, how much stuff do you need? Right. Uh, it's, uh, right. it's so, it's, it's so the most frustrating thing is that imagery of, oh, whoa, how sad it must be. And I'm like, whoa, huh. that is so, I mean, I was having such a blast in the four years and I, and I started off in 76 in a field mm-hmm. of one, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, there was there sure. was nothing quite quite like what we, me and the room were doing, or songs like that at the time, and um, it was a, a marvelous year. And then yeah. you know, the competition starts coming in, you know, and things change. Suddenly, you got punk and new wave, mm-hmm. and people have got names for thing. And I, there was no, there was never any name for me. Mm. But, you know, there was mm. oh, they threw this pub rock nonsense at me, which is something that I was never even aware of right. until suddenly I'm reading in the press. I've got something to do with pub rock, mm. which was, you know, guilty by association because of my band members. Yeah. We're in these bands that got branded as that, which, which is the kiss of death, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was lucky to even survive that quite frankly. Huh. 
I mean, that is the kiss of death, uh, yeah. you know, because no, no one knows what it is. And people talk about it, the press talk about it now as if in England in the 1970s, uh-huh. pub rock was all the rage. It wasn't. You know, I was I was in the suburbs living, you know, 74, 75 after yeah. doing a lot of traveling and going up to London regularly in squats. You know, it was mm-hmm. all the squatting rage then. You, you know, nobody paid for anything. Some right. some bunch of freaks you knew. You know, they let you know where to come and you go up to London and you'd be in some monolithic house that had been empty for 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no market for these places that are worth multi millions, you know, <laughs> by the, almost by the time the 80s came along. Right. And um, nobody I knew said, let's go down to the Hope and Anchor and see some pub rock. Mm. Nobody I knew in the suburbs had heard of pub rock. I'd, I'd seen the name Brinsley Schwartz. I've, I've said this before, but nobody pays attention. In the back of the Melody Maker playing small gigs, and I thought that must be our German heavy metal band. <laughs> no, I've, I've said this so many times, nobody wants to know uh-huh. it. Nobody wants to write it down. Huh. Um, you know, it's it's because they just want to say the same story. There's a yeah. Rolodex, Graham Parker, Pub Rock, okay, yeah. Punk, Elvis Costello, Bruce yeah. Springsteen, that's that's it. That's the story. So whenever right. I when I see a new review of an album, they'll mention once the first few bars uh-huh. as if they listened to the album and then they go on about my history. From <laughs> then on, it's a history lesson, which is totally incorrect. Uh-huh. So it, it I'm sure many how many artists could be saying the same thing. You know, it's true. one of those. True. But it's so this this niche that I have, it's it just turned out that. I would have this limited audience and it was limited to a lot bigger, you know, a lot bigger yeah. crowds in the early days. And now it's limited to, to what you would expect, like 45 years later or whatever right. it's been. Right. Um, well, you know, so, and it goes up and down. It's a funny thing because, you know, one day I could be playing in a venue that's just a quarter full and the next play out down playing to 900 people in the uh-huh. Union Chapel in London. Yeah. You know, solo, which I think is like, this is amazing. How am I still doing this? Right. No and it's sold out, you know. So I, I always just look at the side where how the hell am I getting away with this? Yeah. Still. Yeah. It's so and, true. And you're talking about me being, you know, a beloved character. The one thing that's, that's that's got me through you know with so many gigs especially in america all over the place you know flying to little rock arkansas for one mm-hmm. gig mm-hmm. And, and, and you know somewhere that it's not my territory and nobody came you know mm-hmm. and doing texas so many times that were gigs that were half full often <laughs> with the occasional year where you think oh that's great and then you go uh-huh. back next the promoters you know whatever you say about promoters i'll tell you what i've got a lot of fans who have booked me in a lot of places way outside my territory uh-huh. and often paid me decent money oh. for, for many, many years. So I, it's as much as anything, it's, it's, you know, I'm yeah. lucky because of the music business support. True. 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 Had. Okay. So that, you know, it's interesting. You're debunking as it sounds like you have done many times, the, your origin story, because I think to a lot of us, it's like, oh, Brinsley Schwartz, Nick Lowe. I'm sure there was a Dr. Feelgood influence in there somewhere. That, And then there's the angry young man that, you know, J- Joe Jackson and Elvis Costello come from. That's who Graham is. And you're saying, no, I've just been doing what I do. And you guys are the ones that kind of put these labels on it. And it sort of limits me along the way. 
Well, it, it it tends to. I mean, the only thing that I, the only band I'd seen, if you could call them pub rock, was about two years before my career, and that was Doctor Feelgood uh-huh. uh, in '74. And what what I liked about them was I knew I was on the right track because I'd cut my hair short from having mm. it down to my ass, <laughs> you know, and I was doing three minute songs that had roots. Yeah. influences all kinds of roots influences i'd left psychedelia behind after four uh-huh. years of of that with you know not not playing in any professional sense at all you know just mm-hmm. doodling away on a guitar and suddenly i started to get good with songwriting and it was because i was i was suddenly inspired by what i liked when i was a kid when mm. i was 14 or 15 you know r&b soul you know, and then mm-hmm. Bob Marley in 74 came along with Catch a Fire. Yeah. Um, but as for all those other acts that were supposedly pub rock ducks deluxe, you know, you got mm-hmm. Martin Belmont, who's in the rumor and the Brinsley Schwartz band, Nick Lowe. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I just thought Nick was a, uh, a sort of novelty act and he mm. was, he was producing my record. All I knew about him, apart from this Brinsley Schwartz thing was that he'd made a record called we love you Bay city rollers. Oh, and, and he'd called himself the Tartan Horde, and it was a minor hit in Japan, and my manager told me that. So I thought he was a novelty songwriter. <laughs> I, you know, it's only recently that I, it's only recently that I thought, oh wow, is he good? Yeah, he yeah. All these new records. I mean, I, I didn't think peace. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding was anything but a tongue-in-cheek mm. novelty song. Mm. And, and the Brinsley Schwartz albums, when I finally heard them. You know, by the yeah. time I got a record deal, I get a free album. I think I just thought, what is this lame country shit? Yeah. You know, I just, and honestly, I was what I was influenced by was pop hits. Uh-huh. It, it could have been listening to Radio One, the dreaded, terrible, you know, station that, you know, wouldn't play new stuff and wouldn't get edgy for the most part. But there I was at 24, 25, driving around listening to that. And well, 23, more like you know, 1973, and I'd hear Can't Hurry Love, and, and suddenly mm. I thought, this is the shit, this is it. Yeah. yeah. It's not, you know, it certainly isn't, you know, bands I was loving a week yeah. before, Pink Floyd and and uh, what's the name, you know, King Crimson and right. Incredible String Band. You know, I love all that stuff now, mm-hmm. but I, I, I was one of those people who if I went for something, it was at the expense of everything else. Mm-hmm. So suddenly I, I was writing songs and it was almost all based on what was on the radio. Okay. All of it. Uh, you know, I'd hear Brown Sugar, even though that was mm-hmm. been out years. And I think that's the stuff, man. And then I'm writing Soul Shoes.
yes. you put those two things together, you got it right yeah. there. So everything I was doing had nothing to do with, you know, obscure music that nobody had heard played in pubs. It was to do with hit radio, mm -hmm. quite frankly, okay. which, you know, and obscure. I mean, I was I discovered John Prine, you know, one mm. album I had Diamonds in the Rough. Mm -hmm. I also had the the Sparks album. A Woofer in Tweeter's Clothing, which I thought was amazing. Yeah. And I was into Jackson Brown and and all this stuff. Uh, and then I discovered Van Morrison, you know, way before yes. you would think. Suddenly uh -huh. I, I'd heard Astral Weeks and I didn't like it for a long time. People were playing it, you know, <laughs> while we're so... getting stoned. You yeah. know, we're getting stoned and stuff, and I'm thinking, this isn't trippy enough for me. <laughs> so it's like 12-bar blues, you know. Yeah. Uh, you can, yeah, put on some put on 20, 21st century schizoid man, you know. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And then one day I, I must have heard a track somewhere, and I, I just suddenly went, holy moly, what have I been missing? Yeah. This is the trippiest album I've ever heard, and it's also three chords tricks. It's yeah. almost like one song, the entire record. And so that was deeply inspiring, but it had nothing to do with these obscure things like pub rock or anything okay. else. Or, and definitely not punk because punk wasn't even there True. in 76. It was, but I didn't. I, the only thing I knew about it was I kept reading about it in the back page of music, music papers. Yeah. There were a certain amount of people championing this thing that was going on in CBDB, CBGBs in New York. Right. And they wanted that to happen in Britain. They wanted that anarchic kind of thing. Yeah. And I didn't know what it was. I hadn't heard it. I was just in my own. T Once I've made my own record, I was almost 100% in my own tunnel. Got it. Really. Got and, it. and writing songs that were, you know, just coming from my influences. Uh, but soon, you know, that new wave and, and punk thing did kind of kick in a bit. I realized I had to be even angrier <laughs> then nastier than I was before. Yeah. And it's like, Jesus, I was nasty enough yeah. right off the bat. That's true. You know? That's true. Okay, I want to touch on a couple of things you just said, especially the nastiness. And I'll ask you, because I my two very favorite Graham Parker albums are probably not the two that you get that gets mentioned the most. And I'll start with the first one. I think my very favorite album is Human Soul. And wow. Yeah, I love Human Soul. And it's because of everything you just said about being so influenced by R&B. And it's your ability to make that really raucous R&B with the horns and everything sounds so soulful. I mean, a, sound li a song like Soul Time...
and it's not mentioned very often as being even up there. And I was, and the whole second. So here's my question. First of all, to get really nerdy for a second, the whole second side is a lot like is almost like Abbey Road. You know, there's four or five little vignettes yeah. in there as opposed to songs. What was the thinking behind creating Human Soul and Side Two specifically? Uh, yeah, well, that, that came from the period when I was writing the Mona Lisa Sister record song mm-hmm. songs. They came, you know, I had all these other songs like Daddy's a Postman. Mm-hmm. And I had Sugar Gives You Energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about R&B and soul. That's only yeah. on one side. The other side is literally put together to be as quirky pop like Abbey Road. Right. And, and that those songs, you know, I... I basically thought, well, I don't like all of these songs, but I like a minute and a half of, of Daddy's a Postman. And, and um, you know, I thought, what was the record? Hang on, what came before Human Soul? It was uh, it was Mona Lisa's sister, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what I was doing, I was writing those songs as well. I was so full of, you know, writing and ex- mm-hmm. ex- such great creativity throughout the 80s, really. Mm-hmm. And and I would often have two albums worth of songs sitting there looking at me, and I'd push a load of them aside, and therefore make the Mona Lisa sister, which you know was almost conceptual in its singer songwriterness, mm-hmm. as it mm-hmm. were. Yeah. And then Human Soul. Before that, I thought, well, I need to make something really quirky. Now. Yeah. Really. And I've got yeah, and I've got these weird songs that you know. And I said to Brinsley, who co-produced with me, and John Jacobs. I said, I want, okay, this has got to be Abbey Road. This is, mm. it's just, if you remember, it's the real side, which mm-hmm. is more the soul songs like um, My Love Strong, for right. instance, is yep. another one. When the world's asleep, there's no one in your arms. Raindrops hit the window, like distant alarm. You know, and soul time, as you said, and mm-hmm. the second side completely off the wall, the exactly. surreal side. Yeah. So, so that was the thinking behind it. It was just a, what I often do is take the last record and say, okay, scrub that, that's gone. Huh. And come out with something, you know, just my quirky side, which I have yeah. a hell of a lot of. You know? Yes, you do. I have a hell of a lot of that. So, so that that album was more of an attempt to do that. But I, I didn't have enough quirky bits and pieces to make a whole album ah. joined together. And uh, so I was writing these other songs, and well, they they were good. Soul time ah, and I love it. Strong and whatever. So that's that's how that came about. It was just kind of my bloody minded. Okay. okay they loved Mona Lisa's sister. That went down very well. Did very well for me. I was packing gigs out all over America. 
uh-huh. you know, it was kind of uh, people were saying, you know, as some of the tracks were used on alternative rock albums like Start mm-hmm. a Fire. from younger people who heard that mm-hmm. that particular song because it got a bit of radio play so i wanted to do the opposite of that just a, okay you know, that's the way i am often okay. I'm sort of contact sort of contrarian in, in yeah any way. i could see that so you saying that makes sense because the next album struck by lightning doesn't sound it's very stripped down doesn't sound like anything you just did in the pre in the prior decade let alone on the prior album or two Was that the thinking? Like, okay, we just did a great pop record. We just did a soul record. I'm going to go just me and a guitar, strip it all the way back and go a completely different direction. Well, well, no, I don't think a struck by lightning is stripped back like Mona Lisa's sister. Now that's stripped back. Mm, to you? My okay. idea for that album was, I, what I wanted to do with Mona Lisa's sister was leave the 80s way behind. Mm. And, and I was writing much of those songs in 87 or probably writing some when I was doing Steady Nerves. The yeah. record that came out in 85. So to me, the really stripped down record is, well, there's two of them. There's Mona Lisa's sister. I said, there's only going to be four instruments on this record. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to record it. You go, well, it's going to be the singer and the song and the guitar. That's all that counts, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, okay, make a decent drum sound. Whatever we do, we don't think the drum sound is important. That's the 80s. I want to leave the eighties. The drums are just the goddamn drums. Okay. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. only thing that matters is the singer and the song. 
and, uh, you know, me and the acoustic guitar. And that's how I started recording the album. Um, the struck by lightning to me was much more built up. I don't, I don't okay. see it as being stripped. Hmm. I mean, look at the, the, you know, there's all kinds of stuff on there. We got Garth Hudson who immediately fills True. up the space straight off True. the bat. You've got uh, basically two guitars, three guitars often. Yeah. You've got uh, you know electric. Uh, well, I, I was playing electric on it. I played acoustic, of course. Um, sometimes added other guitars. Um, but the, the the but wait the way the album comes off is as if as if it is stripped down and raw. It doesn't it doesn't it's raw. Not built up. It's That's a better I word for not, it. Yeah, it's it's a gain. Whatever we do, I don't want this all fat mm-hmm. like the eighties. I yeah. do not want that to happen. That's the it. keyboard should be down. They shouldn't yes. be this big fat thing that goes through the yes. mix. Yes. It should be like a band playing, That's which is it. what it was. It was basically a three piece. Yeah, and then we brought the keyboard player in, so it's so that's why okay. it has that effect on you, I think. That's it. And, You're and right. Me, Raw is a better to, word. Yeah, to me, the songs. There's a lot of songs on there, and I was again flaring with uh, with creativity, and they they go all over the place, but they still have the same feel. They have mm-hmm. a unified feel, which makes the entire record work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm very proud of them. Good. If anyone says "Struck by Lightning" is your top, I, I'm I'm fine with that. You know, <laughs> absolutely Good. fine. Good. Yeah, you're right. Raw is a better word. I was just thinking. Well, there's not there's no horns. It's more rocking. It's more organic sounding, yeah. I guess. But that it's was the way. It's nowhere terrible. near as slick no, as that's Human it. Soul. That's it. That's yeah. that's a kind of cold, steely, a more slick sounding album that went away from. Mona Lisa's sister, and then I wanted to reverse that mm-hmm. as I went along, and, and you know, and that's that's what came out, I guess. Okay. okay. You know. Yeah. Struck by lightning. Okay. Um, so my other favorite, and maybe my number one, I don't know, it goes back and forth, is um, "Stick to Me," because that to me is the album that it's the pinnacle of that Spitfire, angry young man that you guys you get labeled with all the time. Yeah. But it, especially a song like "Thunder and Rain." I, I feel like I can hear the 
the veins in your neck bulging with this song. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, well, uh, yeah. 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 I mean, well, that, that particular album, now we're talking about the Sex Pistols that emerged, right? Punk had hit the high street. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not on the back pages of the music press anymore because the Sex Pistols album had, had, had kind of hit and um, all these other bands were emerging. So I thought, well, I, I you know, subconsciously I thought, well, Good. so there I was, the, the punk thing had hit and um, I, you know, I think I, I upped the ante a bit. I got even more angry and nasty than I sounded on Howling Wind, which was pretty, yeah. Yeah. pretty intense and, and a heat treatment as well. a lot of people like that record it's mm. it's uh you know it, it just sort of fitted in with the times but the songs of course weren't punk they were much mm. more complicated mm. than that i mean thunder and rain if anyone thinks that's simple try working it out oh. give it a try no, just try no <laughs> in fact mm. try working out stick to me
Yeah. That, yes. True. That I can I can break that down to simple chords now, but that's not how I wrote it. I wrote it as if I was playing what what turned out what what ended up being Brinsley's guitar part, mm-hmm. which is you know I didn't even know what the chords were, mm-hmm. you know until years later I thought it'd be great to play that solo, but how? And then I I just brought it down to very simple chord structures, but mm-hmm. that's not what it is at all. It's a tricky no. tricky thing. It's so good. It's so good. And the thing so okay maybe this is a Maybe this is a hard question in lieu of everything you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, because the thing that I love about you, especially the first, you know, the 70s and 80s you, is I feel like I'm listening to a guy who's singing and making music because his life depends on it. You know, it's it, there's just such an urgency, like I was saying, the veins in your neck. And eventually I'm wondering if because around like burning questions, that gets a little more experimental to me. Sounds a little different. Yeah. 12 haunted episodes, more like acoustic. Do you reach a point where it you realize, okay, no matter what I do, I'm probably always going to be a cult artist. You're bouncing around from label to label and stuff like that. Things aren't selling, at least in the States, like you want them to. When, when, that, when that realization happens to you, do you think, okay, well, that means that I can be whatever I want. I can be, I can take more chances if I want, or you continue to strive for being played on the radio. What's your mind frame when that realization hits you? I don't think I'm thinking about that at all. Really? Ever? Okay. That's what I wondered. It doesn't occur to me. I mean, as I write the songs, I I start to think, what, what, how is this going to sound? And Mm -hmm. I start formulating I'm, I'm even sort of, you know, with a bunch of songs, I start thinking of sequencing for mm-hmm. the album. So I, I do think in that kind of sense. Um, and gradually, as the songs are written, I start to, to, to figure out what kind of album it is. But the, the, the reason, you know, to me, it's, it's about it's technical things that nobody cares mm. about really mm. what am i singing like you know mm. when i when i when i wrote the songs for 1200 episodes she's got everything she needs and it isn't you a cosmetic arsenal a bucket of glue signs on her back that say keep on the grass powerful liquor in a hip flask Coins from the Commonwealth, doubloons from the sea, a knife in a boot heel, a bonsai tree, ice cream in a pocket, diamonds from a fence. It all works like clockwork, it all makes sense to her. What is my singing like? Well, it's changed radically because mm-hmm. now I know how to sing. Mm-hmm. Before, all I did was yell and scream, mm-hmm. and somehow there was musicality to it, and I still don't know how to this day because I had no experience i never did what people do which is playing for a couple of years on the circuit and getting beer thrown at you Mm -hmm. and and, and honing your art playing with no monitor systems 
like, you know, like the Beatles in Hamburg. You know, that's what I should have been doing. I would have learned to sing a lot better. And so by the time I got to 1200 episodes, it was, you know, I'd done an awful lot of touring and and learned how to sing. I'd, Mm -hmm. you know, found a totally different voice. And I was very, very pleased with that because Mm. it would be awful to, to be like the heavy metal singers who go for lessons so that they can still scream in a high pitch when they're 60, you know, that, that would not be enjoyable to me. Right. Um, Being who I am is much more enjoyable. And so I've just, I've just gone along with what the songs have told me to do really. And, um, you know, we talk about being a cult or something, but the fact is I was one of the few artists who was getting major record deals, even into the Mm nineties, because, you know, um, Mona Lisa's sister was on RCA in America, a major mm-hmm. record company, and and I went four albums with them, which, you know, in the 90s, it was like, come on, you got to get down to Indie Land, yeah, which, I, right. which I did after that, you know, and people who sold a lot more than me also went down to Indie Land because mm-hmm. the record companies made it clear, we want flash-in-the-pan hits, we want mm-hmm. commercial, you know, a, a major guy in a record company said i said to him is it worth me bothering you know this was put just after rca is it worth me bothering going to majors he said no don't you know we don't care about you we mm-hmm. don't care about most of the acts even if they sold a lot more than you that have your kind of music don't just go to indie lands you know yeah so that's that's what happened after that okay um, okay so it's it's my perspective is and perception is different because of that long long run of major labels and and being called up by David Letterman every year, you know, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. so I, I can't think it's a cult when I'm on David Letterman. Eight Good times point. Good my, point. In my experience, in my career, you Good know, point. That's, more yeah. than, that's more than most people uh, have ever been until they changed uh, channels. I think that's yeah. stop. I think yeah. Nirvana happened and uh, Letterman went to another channel and I never got another look in, but mm. you know, that's, that's the way it goes. Yeah. I was, yeah. So I was always amazed at that kind of thing when I'm supposed to be a cult. I, I think of a cult as hardly anybody knows who you are and True. You, you know, you've got really small fan base, not an international fan base, but I guess my perception is wrong. Probably. Is it, you well, know, I, I don't, don't know. I'm that's too busy I mean. trying to. I'm trying. I'm too busy thinking. What the hell? What record can I make next? <laughs> right. What are the songs I'm writing? Right. And what are they like? What the hell am I? What What are they? How do these fit in? Yeah. I'm too busy trying to suss out what what I am. You know, yeah. from for, as a musician, yeah. from one day to the next. Even okay. now, I'm thinking that uh, at, at my age, where I'm thinking, why bother anymore? I'm also yeah. thinking that now. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I, I, was gonna, I was gonna ask you yeah. about that actually. Yeah. It might disturb a few people, but it's the truth, you know. Sure. So speaking of now, um, you have a live album, Five Old Souls, coming out. Or is it out? I think it's, oh, it's, out. Yeah, it's out. It's out. Yes. Yeah, it's out. Turn on the light, I don't wanna try. 
And yeah, um, unfortunately, uh, again, I'm on a small label in Britain who do uh-huh. their very best here. They do. Um, but, you know, it's distributed in America, which means, you know, you're on a website. Yes. You know, and that's it. And, and uh, you know, the, the CDs aren't even even in America yet. So I, I seriously need to have a American record company rep, representation, I think, because having a, a small label in Britain and it just gets distributed you know, just what does that mean? I, all yeah, I see is it's, right. it might be on a website if I'm lucky. Right. Orchard record, orchard distribution. I, you know, that's the problem. But it's it's out, it's online. You know, it's yes. the best live album I've ever made by far. I mean, there's nothing compares to it to me. No, it's good. And uh, so I'm I'm totally happy with it. Good. Best sound and and uh, exactly right for for my for me now. That's yeah. the thing. You know, it's. It's all about where I am now. Is that the best absolute sounding record and, and songs for me in this point in time? Yes, it is. The same with Cloud Symbols. Dreaming, yes, I'm dreaming. I never get my head out the ceiling. At least I'm not in my basement screaming. I'm dreaming of you. When I'm dreaming Walking Yes, I'm walking I'm talking to myself When I'm walking I want to tell you What you already know I'm walking with you When I'm walking Stuck in my head for day. I want to get back to my dreaming. Yeah. Yes. It's exactly right. The songs are exactly right. So the satisfaction from that is is good. Good. Um, but you know, at the same time, I think, why am I spending all this money? On yeah. something that can't possibly sell enough because I'm funding this, you know. Yeah. And and I'm not the only one, but I'm I'm, I'm not a home studio guy. Right. You know. Oh, okay. And it's gonna be time soon, but it won't be my home studio. It'll be my son's. Mm. You know, which means a computer in his in his basement. Right. <laughs> so, That's it. That's all it takes. Yeah. Because I spend money on on musicians and I pay them well. Good. And I pay for good studios. You know, I, I I pay for all this stuff. It doesn't yeah. come from record companies, although I've had a bit of luck lately with, I think, uh, well, yeah, not not too long ago with uh, Mystery Glue, which was me and yes. the rumor, and yeah. I happened to be on on uh, on Universal. Many men have tried their hand and reached up for the sky, but you. Fools like you With your measurements of man So far above us and Wild as the wind 
Right, you just don't. This is the thing. You don't know what's around the corner. Who, who would have thought I would have been on a Judd Apatow movie? I know. You know, one week before, one week before Judd Apatow called me, it's like that. That's ridiculous. That's a silly idea. You know. So I don't. It's it's. This is all out of my control. I guess that's no. what a cult artist is. It's not in your control, man. You might be. You might be on the Grammys next week. You know? you just don't, there's no control over this. You yeah. just do what you're doing. You know, yeah. um, uh-huh. so it's it's just a, I had this huge bump for four years with the John Apatow movie. It was great, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, out of the blue. So there's all okay. it's it's a mysterious, you know, you just yeah. keep keep your head down and do it. That's all right. Okay, so I have um, I I was saving my Judd Apatow questions. Uh, I'll get to those in one second. I want to talk about Five Old Souls though for a minute because it is on Spotify. I've been listening to it a lot to get ready to talk to you, and I think I saw a picture of you tweeting out that you were signing copies and that you know you could or if you ordered a hard copy or a CD that you could get it with your uh, with your autograph yeah. on it. So good. Um, yeah, so, those, those, the, yeah, they go out they go out the door pretty quick. Good. You know? Especially if you have a selection of pens and take a photograph, yeah. and say, "Okay, what color are you gonna get?" You know. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, yeah, that's the best hook. That's that's more important than the album. Sure. You know, what, what pens do you use? What kind? Yeah. Of- <laughs> I love that. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, it seems the album is a little more acousticy, and I wondered if, um, I wondered if that is kind of more like you were talking about cloud symbols and stuff like that. I, I go back to thinking about the Your Country album that was that was that um, period was when I really dove into Grant Parker and got all the albums and everything. You uh, and again, just to add one more thing, seeing you play acoustically here in Denver a few years ago. Is that sort of easier for you to do? Is that what you'd like to do more of now as opposed to a big full band rumor brass sound? Not that that doesn't pop up still sometimes. Yeah, it popped up with the rumor. So yeah. you know, I did I did that bit, and uh, we we had a great run there. Mm-hmm. You know, a bunch of tours on both sides of the the pond, and and uh, and all this stuff happening. But um, I I do not feel any need to um, pin people to the wall. <laughs> I just don't have any feeling to do that really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't sing like that now. True. Um, and the cloud symbol songs. If you listen to a song like. Uh, Love Comes, which ends that album. The, the, if you listen to the acoustic guitaring, I've never been that good before. Love comes when you least expect it. Fall hangs through the night, sweet rain. When you put your arms around me, love comes to my heart again. Walking through the streets at midnight Brings the world a different hue Everybody's got their color Make mine 
You know, the vocal on the because it's all live as well. And uh, so it's like, that's what I'm best at now. But, um, you know, having said that, don't forget there's a horn section on Five Old Souls. True, there is. As, as, yeah. as there is on Cloud Symbols. Yeah. Um, but it's root, it's, it's what you could call roots rock. I mean, we're yes. doing... That's We're it. doing a lot of howling wind on that record. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to call that roots rock, that doesn't worry me. You know, yeah, We're yeah. doing songs from Cloud Symbols. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought those two albums relate to each other very much so. That I can see in that. My head. That's, yeah. that's one of the reasons I thought I've got to have the horns on this. Yeah. This relates to howling wind to me. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. My voice is totally different. The songs come from a totally different place for the most part, of course. Um, but it related to me. In, in that sense. So the tour was really to promote cloud symbols where the acoustic is, is quite in there, you know, it's in, on every song, no question mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. And nothing is rock music. Mm-hmm. It's, it's rock and roll because rock and roll isn't a volume. It's an right. attitude. Right. You know, there's songs in there like, um, uh, uh, there's, there's one it's, that actually is rock and roll style. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, called uh, Can't Get Nothing From You, I think it's mm. called. Mm-hmm. Can't Get Nothing From You, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, that, that one is, is a total rock and roll style song, old school. Yeah. Um, but it's done in a very, it's not done in a sense of I'm trying to nail you to the wall. I'm trying to sing this thing and I'm doing yeah. it well, you know. Very yeah. different places these things come from. Yeah, okay. Um, it's a great album and I hope people check it out. Um, you have a lot of great live albums out there. And, uh, but you're right. I mean, I think this one is special and I hope people check it out more. I wanted to, so we have some Patreon supporters and I got a few questions from a few of them that I wanted to throw at you. Now that we're talking about Judd Apatow, that's where Philip Hopwood wanted to know. How did the, obviously, how did that phone call come? And one of the things that I, so going back to this like cult artist, artist or niche artist, I almost feel like you play that up a little bit in that movie, you know? Oh, um, no, absolutely. I that, was supposed to be the loser. Yes. Yes, I, I took the cliches uh, because I'm the guy who, who sort of is a real pain in the ass to for this uh, record company guy, you know, this guy Pete, and he's got an indie label signing uh-huh. all these losers like me right. and Haircut 100 and Frank and Frank Black without Hello the Pixies. Right. Um, so he's doing that, and and, and I. St- Straight away in the script, I could see, oh, great, I, this is me. I'm all over it, you know. <laughs> um, but the, the the thing is here, um, uh, to, to correct another sort of misrepresentation, I had already got the rumor on board to make a new album, which turned out to be Three Chords Good. I wondered about that. What came yeah, first? Yeah, that, that was okay. what came first. Uh, out of the blue, uh, on a whim, almost on a dare, you know, I, I wanted to put Andrew Bodner, the bass player, and, and uh, 
and uh, Steve Goulding, the drummer from the rumor mm-hmm. and say, and I, I, I got hold of them on email and said, you know, I've been playing with a drummer and then I've been doing the bass and I've been doing guitars. What, you know, would you fancy doing an album us three? Mm-hmm. Uh, because they both worked with me since the rumor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll take it from there. And Steve made a joke. Well, what if you got Bob Brinsley and Martin and then you'd have a proper band. Yeah. So it was almost like a dare. So I said, well, to hell with you, man, I'll do it. And I, and I, and I foolishly emailed everyone and everyone said, <laughs> yeah, okay. And I thought, well, this is going to cost me a lot of money. What the <laughs> hell have I done? You know, and I'm in America at the time and uh-huh. you know, Dreamland Studios is there with my engineer, co-producer of many, you know, from Struck by Lightning onwards, often D- Dave Cook. Uh-huh. And I knew he would love to get his hands on this. So that that was it. I thought, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. Um, this is it. I'm doing it, man. And then it must have been within a week or two at most that my publishing company said, John Appetow wants to talk to you. Oh, and I said, okay, give me his, give him my number. Yeah. And we chatted, and he was going to be in New York City. And I said, I'm, I'm coming down. I'll meet you. All right. Uh, and he said, okay. Um, so we sat and talked, and he told me about this idea for a movie. And I said, I, yeah, I'm the guy. <laughs> Don't look any further, you know. Right. And and that's that's how the movie came about. Okay. And, I, and then about three quarters through the the conversation, I said, and by the way. I've just reformed the rumor, which kind of literally knocked him back in his seat. Yes, I believe and, it. And I said, why don't you put them in the movie? So uh-huh. he did. Amazing. I mean, you know, talk about yeah. the, the the greatest the impossible yes. thing happening ever. It's and such there, a confluence. There it was. Yeah, it's yeah, so great. It was. That's yeah. what I say. I mean, this stuff is beyond my control until you put me in a room, and then I can't shut up. I'll tell you That's... what to do. <laughs> just, just put me in that room. I, I'll own it. You know. Oh, it's great. So, so what's Judd, the Judd went along with it, and there we go. Yeah. What's the relationship with those guys now? Then I mean, do you, when you part, even in the beginning, do you guys part as friends? Do you part for business reasons? Is are people sick of each other? What's the what's <laughs> no? We're not sick of each other actually, but we're we're sick of doing this thing. Yeah, you know, everyone was weary enough. We, it's it's an intense thing, touring. Yeah. You know, the whole part of it is is intense. And most of the most of those six tours we did, three in America, three over here, with a bit of Europe thrown in. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I I'm the one, you know, losing the money. Ah, uh, you know, okay. I didn't lose a fortune, but I lost enough to know that the next thing that's going to happen is we're going to get hired in clubs instead of two thousand, one thousand mm-hmm. seaters. That's what's going to happen next because these things have a shelf life, you know. Yeah, yeah. They're going to have a shelf life unless you're Duran Duran, who are going to mm-hmm. they can quit for thirty years and come back and play stadiums, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We're, sure. We're gonna if if we could come back and play theaters, which is largely what we did with a few clubs in in the lesser markets. Mm-hmm. If we can do that, then it's a success, and and that's largely what we did. But I could you could see the writing on the wall on the last tour of America. It mm-hmm. wasn't full anymore. Okay. And I'm I'm a pragmatist. Yeah. You know, I'm a I pragmatist. And and the rumor guys have been a lot around long enough to be the same. And we we didn't really have to say anything. We sort of thought, yeah, that's kind of it, right? Yeah. We thought yeah. the same thing. And uh, we, you know, it was a win-win. But stop when you're winning. Yeah. Stop with stop before it, it turns into you know you're playing the small club for a fraction of the money because 
People don't understand. It, it cost me $10,000 to put those guys in a room oh. to rehearse. There's people in America. There's people in, in London. Mm-hmm. There's somebody in Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. It takes as long to, to, to tr- come on the train to Yorkshire as it does to fly from New York, you know, True. to True. London. And I'd have to bring them to guys to, you know, and a crew, small yeah. crew, very modest. But the, the fact is there's $10,000 and, yeah. and there's flights. Yeah. And people think that 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 grows on trees. It doesn't. I'm no. paying for it. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the old days when you know you needed fifty grand record, mm-hmm. you know, from the record company. Yeah. But there it was. Two tour buses. One for the road is one for the. You know, it's all on my bill. Right. Which you conveniently forget about because you're having the greatest time of your right. life. You know. <laughs> Even though I, I knew it was I knew it was hovering and it would come back to bite me. But the basic thing is that's what it's about, really. Yeah. People don't Makes understand. sense. No. That you, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be starving or drive myself no. into the ground, you no. know, um, uh, to, to to do this because people want the rumor. I no. I know you do great, but uh, you know, you know, get with the program. I yeah. live in reality, you know, and that's. Yeah. And we we thought I don't think even if we were anything else was happening, we'd have thought, okay, we've done it, we've done our bit, we've reformed. Mm-hmm. It was great. Mm-hmm. it really was we had spectacular nights made two great albums and and i think that's the natural flow of things really agreed yeah agreed um okay i've always wondered what the status was and a lot of my patreon supporters were uh, curious too yeah uh, another one andy shawl wants to know and i was curious about this as well what your relationship was with pat uh, denizio of the smithereens i'm a huge smithereens fan there's an uh, you appear on their unplugged episode i have an ep from that uh show that features you on it she had hair like Jeannie shrimpton back in 1965 she had legs that never ended I was halfway paralyzed She was tall and cool and pretty And she dressed as black as coal If she asked me to I'd murder I would gladly lose my soul Now I lie in bed and think of her Sometimes I even weep Then I dream of her behind the wall of sleep well, she held a bass guitar And she was playing in a band And she stood just like Bill Wyman Now I am her biggest fan Now I know I'm one of many Who would like to be a friend but I How did you become, fan. you know, connected to the Smithereens? Um, well, one thing I think I heard, uh, you know, whatever the first album was and behind the wall of sleep and, yeah. you know, bloody roses or whatever, you know, if, that's, uh-huh. if I had the record in front of me, I'd, I'd you know, blood and roses, titles. you got it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Blood and roses, all these songs. And I thought, oh, these people are good. This is a yeah. good thing to see. Cause that was like, in was that in the eighties when they first started to make a name for themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it probably was. Yeah. It was. And it was, a, it was, it was a breath of fresh air that it wasn't, you know, uh, we all got infected by 80s sounds, but it wasn't over-the-top 80s, you know, music. It was songs. Right, right. And you could tell where, you know, you could tell us, that, oh, that's, it might be a bit of me in this somewhere, you know, a bit of Elvis Costello, a bit of Bruce, and a bit of, yeah. you know, the singer-songwriters with a band um, and good songwriting. 
Uh, and so I went to see them in London and went backstage, I, I believe. Okay. And, and, uh, and, you know, just a brief hello. And then, you know, we were both on the radar with each other. And mm-hmm. I think they must have reached out for me at the time mm-hmm. of the Unplugged show. Okay. You know, they got a hold of me. Something like that happened. So, you know, since then, I've, I've sort of interacted with them once or twice, you know, open mm-hmm. for them, actually, solo. When, nice. when they were When they were playing the big theatres and... Pat mm-hmm. Denizio had this great little event in Scotch Plains, is it, mm-hmm, New Jersey? Mm-hmm. That's where he's from. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. I, I went down there. They had a load of bands, and it was just, yeah, they were they were a good outfit. They really were. Yeah. And I like I like Pat. Pat yeah. was very, you know, Pat was obviously he knew my stuff backwards. He knew yeah. a lot of my stuff. So you know, it's just a okay. mutual respect. Music not, you know, music not too far away from it, each yeah. other, you know. It was it was good. Good. I'm a huge fan of theirs too, and uh, I thought that's a great pairing. I wondered how that came to be. Um, okay, one of the things too that is not it doesn't pop up as often anymore as it did on your first few albums is that you could always count on a really fantastic reggae tune on your you know back in the in the early days and um, coming from you and specifically there's like no more excuses. such a great album or such a great song and yeah, i was curious yes what was the what did reggae mean to you because there's a lot of you know this the clash did this um lots of bands kind of got really excited about dub and reggae in the 70s there and incorporated it into their music was that what was going on with you what was so exciting about reggae you were good at well, it. it it was it was way before that it was when i was 14 or 15 mm. at that age uh, in, in, in England, we always had these, um, there was Johnny Nash who was, yeah. it wasn't called reggae then. It was called like blue beat. Oh. And on the, on the one hand, blue beat or rock steady. Uh, I don't remember the name reggae, okay. uh, not, not in the UK. And I would, I was a mod, which wasn't the mod of the Rod Stewart days with the back coat and hair uh-huh. and you know, that kind of look. And the op art sort of mod look, it was more like a skinhead look Got with it. very stripped down clothes, Levi's and, you know, very short hair. I mean, brutally skinhead. And I was, you know, about 15 or 16. And uh, there was this scene, you know, I was still at school, basically, or just out of school. 
uh, and there was a scene that where there were what were called discos even then. We're talking about 1964 to, to 67, that period. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had the, the, the Lambretta scooter and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, flower power might have been happening, but I was oblivious to that. It was I was totally immersed with soul music um, and 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 those clubs, those discos would get packed out. You'd go in the afternoon on a Sunday at like two o'clock and be packed out with skins and mm-hmm. the, the best looking chicks around, you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. everyone would dance. And the, the, the all of the music, nearly all the music was Tamla Motown, Soul, yeah. uh, Otis Redding and and scar it would mm-hmm. be prince buster and the all-stars and the scatterlights mm-hmm. and even one day i saw the scatterlights in a in a local suburban town because this stuff was huge on the clubs mm-hmm. and desmond decker was another one yes creep into the charts with the you know uh Ikmek and um israelites and israelites yeah. of course yeah yeah so, yeah so there was this this thing in britain which would uh, america would have been absolutely oblivious to this mm-hmm, at the mm-hmm. time abs it wouldn't have surely it would have been the smallest cult thing ever talking about right cult. You, right you'd never have known about it but to us in britain it was the most important music so it's there i was you know 10 years later and mm-hmm. and, and and i'm i'm i'm, I'm reviving old styles of music mm-hmm. those are the songs i'm writing they became howling wind Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm putting that English spin on them, mm-hmm. and and there I, a howling wind pops out. There mm-hmm. it is. Thankfully, Bob Marley, as I said, had arrived with Catch a Fire, and yeah. I knew his name, and I knew he was a songwriter. I knew he'd written something, but, you know, I'm not a real student of this. But there he was with this kind of, uh, you know, gangster-looking dreadlock right. band, the right. Wailers, and Catch a Fire. I mean, I was playing that to everybody, and they're still into Pink Floyd, and they mm-hmm. didn't get it, you know. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, thought, I thought, this is the way it's going. This is the way it's going. It's yeah. going this way. And it just totally got into my songwriting. Yeah. And so, so there was good. often a reggae track. In fact, me and the rumor first track of Three Chords Good in our reunion period. Mm-hmm. Um, Snake Oil, Capital of the World. I bought right into this, sucked right in by a devil's kiss. So sweet and poisonous. 
Give There it is. Yes, it's, good point. It's a reggae groove. Good it's point. Groove. You're right. It's a, it's, a, it's a UK style reggae groove. Yeah, you're right. And so when Howling Wind came out, there were, as I say, the Clash weren't about. You know, they were uh-huh. probably just starting to think about. You know what they. You know, they're just forming. When Howling Wind came out, they weren't there. And Heat Treatment came out the same year. They weren't quite uh-huh. there. They were working on it, but I. Uh, Already, I had the reggae thing going with yeah. with that, and don't ask me questions. Kind yeah, of, of course, to, to of course, that as well. So it's, yeah. it's, it just comes back from that period of when I was a teenager being obsessed with with going to these discos yeah. and dancing to this music and even seeing some of the outfits that, that toured in Britain, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so so that's where that comes from. OK, it's, OK. It's in the blood from there, you know. Got it. Yep. Uh, OK. Speaking of songwriting, uh, I feel like we got to touch on squeezing out sparks specifically. I, I mean, you can't be too strong is one of the just loveliest songs ever written Tear it out with talons of steel and give you a shot so that you wouldn't feel and washed it away as if it wasn't real. It's just a mistake I won't have to face. Don't give it a name, don't give it a place, don't give it a chance. It's lucky in a way. It must have felt strange to find me inside you I had unintended to stay If you want to keep it right, put it to sleep at night Squeeze it until it could say you can't be too strong You can't be too strong You can't be too strong can't be too strong You decide what's wrong Well, I ain't gonna cry I'm gonna rejoice One of the things that is really special, I think, about you, Graham, is 
you're you just see things differently than most songwriters do. You approach topics from a unique angle that not everyone touches on, and that song specifically is like that to me. Do you is that based on a on an actual event? Is it you imagining or being a storyteller? Where did it come from? Uh, well, it's based on on something I was involved in, but didn't know about until okay. too late. I've, I mean, okay. I've said that before; it's not a secret. But okay, but I, you know, basically, I didn't know anything about it. But it does kind of make you think a bit. You know, <laughs> let's face yeah. it; it grabs your attention. Sure. And um, you know, the weird thing is about that song. I want wanted to lighten up the whole thing because I, I wasn't exactly devastated. It mm. just it was just something out of my arena that yeah. happened without me knowing. So yeah. It, you know, from on the basically from meeting someone when you're touring mm-hmm. and they, they sort of became friends to a certain extent and had a bit of, you know, letters back and forth mm-hmm. in those days. Uh, but then that, that kind of got broached to me. I thought, oh, mm-hmm. that's whoa, OK. Yeah. Um, but but the, so I wasn't devastated. The song came out as devastation. Huh. And, you know, it's not that I didn't really feel it. I did when I sang it. But, uh-huh. you know, this, I, but I also, you know, it's an interesting thing. You know, singing is acting, really. Yeah, good point. It's, yes. it's all acting. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a great documentary about Dusty Springfield. Oh, good. You know, one of our great British singers, yes. you know, monster soul singer of the highest mm-hmm. order. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, her emotion just makes you shivers down the spine. You know, she is living it. It's mm-hmm. like she, you feel as though she is feeling this tremendous pain and soul and emotion and lo- lost love. Yeah. And somebody on the show who knew her and, and worked with her, I don't know who it was, a producer or what it said, she was just acting. The whole yeah. thing, every move, every everything was acting. And yeah. I thought, and you know, the funny thing is when I was doing recording um, cloud symbols, mm-hmm. I was recording cloud symbols and the, the, the co-producer, um, Neil Brockbank, uh, who unfortunately died halfway through the album, yeah. Yeah. which was a whole nother story. Terrible thing. Um, he said to me after I recorded just one song, I think it was Love Comes. He said, it's all acting, isn't it? I said, yeah, it's, it's acting. It's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> basically it's you're, you're basically right. taking this this thing and, and even the lyrics like how did i write lyrics like that that yeah. i feel so keening so yeah. you know so deep yeah. so painful so yeah. atmospheric and and uh how did i write that when i don't even feel it you know uh, uh, but when i the, the the thing is though when i came to sing um is the sun out anywhere yeah you know that that song I, I could barely get through it. I can barely get through it now on stage. Is the sun out anywhere? Is it in Paris around? Looks like cloud symbols everywhere. On this app that's on my phone. Since you've been gone, I guess I've muddled through Under some darkening sky oh, Is the sun out anyway? If it is, I can't see it 
with my eyes Well, I guess they've got it wrong before Those satellites, they fly so high Is the sun out anywhere Who can see With teardrops in their eyes. Wow. It starts, to, it starts to make me choke. Wow. That song is just the most emotional, powerful yeah. thing to me I've ever yeah. written. Yeah. Now people think, you know, uh, uh, Can't Be Too Strong is, understandably. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's nothing like that. Uh, uh, the depth, you. you know, the yeah. devastation of, of a lyric like that. But to me, it's exactly the same, and, mm. it, and it just catches my heart like it yeah. did singing. It did when I was – that's because I'm acting so well. Mm-hmm. That's it's, true. It's, I can see that. It's a job. Yeah. It's an acting yeah. job. Being on Storytelling. stage is acting. You know, being on stage is acting. Yeah, it really is. When I, when I first was – the rumor, the first shows, I thought, oh, this is real. It's real. And in a sense, it is. On the other hand, it's acting. Yeah, it really you is. Know, yeah, so there's a, people, you know, might want to think about that when mm. they think their 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 favorite artist is is for real. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> Be careful here. It's yeah. true. Well, it's storytelling, and sometimes to put your story yeah. across, you got to throw in some drama, some acting, some embellishments, for sure. You're right. It's uh, exactly right. Otherwise, you haven't got a show on your hands. That's right. Anyway. Right. You know, and that's what that's what recording is. Is you got to you're making this a show or not? Yeah. Are you making going on stage a show or not? Right. You know, um, and you don't have to have a, a light, a laser beam show. Yeah. It's just you do it yourself. And that's especially solo is absolutely, you know, what it's about, you know, making a show out of nothing much, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, and bringing the audience in. I agree. Yeah. One of my other favorite songs of your, maybe my very favorite Graham Parker song of all is another one of these lovely songs, Wake Up Next to You. I actually had your producer William Whitman on here a couple of times and we talked oh, about great. yeah we talked about that album and everything. I love him and I love his work. How did uh, is there any story behind that song? Cuz I think that's one of was that the song did that crack the top 40 in the states? That's oh, yeah, one of I your only ones. Yeah, it sort of crept in there. Yeah. I think it, it, you know 
if it gets made into Muzak, then apparently <laughs> that means it's a hit. <laughs> that's at least that's what I've been told. I never heard right. it, but somebody said, okay. somebody said, oh, I was in a, you know, actually the World Trade Center, and yeah. said, oh, I heard, I heard a Muzak version of uh, <laughs> Wake Up Man. You know, so it's, but yeah, that song, it's no, that's that is just, you know, um, it's 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 one of those very evocative love songs, straight up. And yeah. that's that's all it was. It was like, why ruin this song by killing the bitch in the third yeah. verse? Why do I always do that? Don't don't do that. Graham, don't yeah. do it. Yeah. You know, because when I'm writing songs like that beforehand, when I was writing the years, you know, in the years before, I thought I can't keep this as a love song. I've got to do something bad to her. Yeah. I've got to be a terrible guy. You know, for some reason, there's this kind of contrarian thing that ruins songs for me now. <laughs> but yeah. that song, I wasn't going to ruin it. That's going to be a, a, a straight up love song with all the, you know, the, the atmosphere of it and the keening yeah. kind of, you know, thing. So, so I, I thought it was, it was and, it, and it was a damn good tune. And I was doing my full on Michael Jackson all the way through it, you know, mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. high notes. Yeah. Where is she right yeah. now? Because I right. want her need her. That's I want right. to hear a singer. And I do a little, a little uh-huh. it, it's Michael Jackson full on, you know. Yes, and it all is. Others, all the, yeah, just listen to that stuff, man. It's, yeah. it's full on. Um, so, yeah, that's what okay. it was. Got it. I love yeah, that song. Yeah, I was, I was very pleased with that one. Good, me too. Uh, and it, like you said, it shows that soul side of you, that R&B side. It's both. It's a love song. It's a lovely love song. And it's got some four tops in it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, sure has. Yeah, it's, yeah. Got, all, it's got a lot of references, yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, lastly, I want to um, throw out some questions that my, like, as I mentioned, my friend Jeremy Cornreich, who uh, we went to see you in concert. He's a big fan of yours, too. Uh, he sent me over some things. He sent me over, over like 12 questions. I'm not going to ask them all. But let me yeah, see here. Okay. What are some of the ones that I want to throw out there? He did ask about um, Daddy's a Postman. Something. Did you write that about a McDonald's ad? Yes, Yes, I did. Okay. What's the story there? Well, at some point in America, there I was writing all these songs, Mona Lisa's sister stuff and what became Human Soul. And there was this advert on all the time and it was a black guy. And it was the most happy picket fence scene. You know, it was like, and there's this smiling postman. Uh Uh-huh. As happy as can be. And he's a black guy. And I'm, you know, it's, it's just like, uh, you know, I guess I'd lived in Manhattan, you know, and uh-huh. 
Yeah, I may have been living in Manhattan at the time. I may have been up upstate New York. And I thought, that's not black people in America. You know, they, they, the white picket fence. Uh-huh. Daddy's coming home. Uh-huh. You know, it's no, that's that's not right. So, so I, uh-huh. again, the contrarian in me right. came up with this this weird twisted tale. Of, <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on in that song. I just thought it just kind of said it all. Daddy's a postman. Yeah. Um, it was like the happiest. America's happy. Everyone's uh-huh. equal. We're right. all postmen here. <laughs> I don't know. So funny. Okay. Yeah, definitely, it had to be on the surreal side. Let's put yes, it that way. Yes, I got it. Okay. Uh, he, he also asked about Sugar Gives You Energy, which you mentioned earlier, too. Where did the idea for this come from? I, I get the impression you don't love Human Soul as much as I do, or we do. No, maybe. I don't. It's not my favorite. I think the okay. the thing about it is texturally, I, I think of things more of a a textural thing. The sound of the huh. record. In fact, the RCA guy who signed me loved Mona Lisa's sister. Mm-hmm. I mean, there we were in the eighties, and he loves a record that's stripped down, yeah. totally different from the eighties. Hasn't got the biggest drum sound in the world. It's just. It's a different thing, and he loved it. Yeah. And then I made Human Soul, and he said I was a bit disappointed. It's mm. it's it texturally, it's so different from. But it's you doing music. that soul music that you're so good at. That's why I love well, it. Well, you know, I don't think of it as soul so much. But when when ah. you mention when you you know when I think about my love strong and so you're right, you know. But yeah. The, what I think about it is that that twisted kind of Abbey Road style. I think of it as the most extremely eclectic record. That's yeah, what I think it is. Of it because, yeah. of, because of side two. I don't think of it Maybe as Maybe that's side. why I like it. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a scattershot kind of record. Yeah. But it's it's not that. It's The the sound of it is very cold to me. Mm. Uh, remember, we, we, I remember we recorded it on SSL, this this system, and they were kind of known for a not a, not a exactly – rootsy guitar sound that was what i was heard i'm not a technical guy i don't know it can't, it sounds to me like it's icy cold and i like warm huh. fuzzy i like warm fuzzy records but you see perception is everything yeah because to me it's super warm to me yeah, that, that one's warm go. and uh um li- uh, lightning what did i the one after it struck, struck by lightning struck by lightning i suddenly forgot that one, to that me, is... feels cold, and Human Soul wow, feels cold. Wow, that's so bizarre. Isn't that weird how we see that? Struck by lightning is the warmest, coziest thing. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. 
Well, somebody said to me not long ago, uh, you know, put on put on Human Soul again. You know, have you uh-huh. got a CD of it? Oh, it's somewhere I might have. You know, drive around listening to. I, you know, I, I guess I should listen, but it's hard for me to listen to, <laughs> to things from anywhere beyond the the yes. last album. You know, that is um, crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's you know perception is everything. That's that's, it. that's all you right. got to think of. Yeah. Once it's once it's out of my hands, it's fair game, you know. Right, right. And, and I have a few people who say human soul masterpiece. I'm like, <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> it's not. That's it's so not. Crazy. It's nothing to do with me, man. I, yeah. I'm, I'm always. I'm surprised, but I'm always pleased. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. Pleased. Doesn't matter what it is, man. Wild. Uh, okay, just a couple more questions. Uh, is there anyone that you would still really like to work with? You mentioned retiring earlier. Um, sounds like that might be around the corner, especially if COVID continues the way it is. But oh, is there anything God, still? Yeah. I know, I know. Is there anything yeah. you still want to do before you hang it all up? Is there anyone you want to work with or what? Yeah, whether I'll hang it all up, I don't know. But the, the, with, the thing about COVID is for the last four or five years, I've been thinking I could do with a year off. Yeah. You know, I could do, you know, not that I'm doing big tours. I don't want to do, you know, no thank you. Yeah, I'm doing yeah. like 12 date tours, which is all I want to do. That's mm-hmm. it, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying to agents now, don't put me in these in-betweeny gigs. Don't make me do the eight-hour drive. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done that, man. I've done 40 years plus of this. Yeah. You know, let's treat me with a bit of respect, okay? Yeah. So that's my my ethos now. I, I deserve a bit of respect. I've earned yeah, it. Yeah. And and um, you know you never know. Tomorrow I might be doing okay. Get me in. Do five <laughs> gigs in the smallest places possible. Right. But it'll only be five of them. You know what right, I mean? It right. won't be. It, and then it'll be stop. Okay. Because agents, yeah. Yeah. you know, they'll do anything. You know, they'll uh-huh. keep putting you in places that I you'd be like, don't do that for your percentage, man. Right. You know, do it. But this is all about me. And so. You know, I, before COVID hit, I was thinking, man, I need a year off. I'd just like to not be preparing for a tour, yeah. not be thinking it sucks all the oxygen out of the air, even if it's six gigs. It, re- it really does. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, you know, I've always had so many more interests in life than playing music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this this pandemic thing came along and it was like, oh, shit, be, be careful what you wish for. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. really, I'm like thinking, did I curse everything? Yeah. I just, I, I, it was my fault. I cursed the world. I yeah, a right. uh, well, you yeah. wrote all those books. Are you going to go back to Are you thinking about more books you want to write? You know, it's not compelling to me. My, my uh, literary agent who dealt with that stuff back then, she's like, Graham, you know, memoirs are popular now. And I'm yeah. like, well, I wrote I wrote my memoirs in carp fishing on Valium, but but they're not memoirs. They're fiction. Right. And I figure the best way to write memoirs is to f- turn it into fiction. Yeah. And then you can do anything you like with it. Right. You know, and I, I don't know memoirs. It seems so self-indulgent. I don't know. There's something about it. I'm not Shakespeare. I'm not, you know, I'm mm. not Einstein. You know, it's like, come on. I'm just a just a guy who wrote some songs and did some okay. singing. Um, you know, and it, it's but I don't know what's around the corner. As I said, I. You know, I'm not even making this stuff up. This stuff makes yeah. me up. Right, it, right. It, all of it makes me up. That's what it creates me by the day. And my head is still full of song ideas. And I've, you know, I, I can't say I've been writing up a storm. My guitar on in this pandemic sits on a stand glaring at me mm-hmm, most of the mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. 
you know, saying, okay, and, I, and I've got a whole sheet of paper, the sheets of paper here with songs on and, and ideas, and I'm thinking, uh, I've done this before, you know. So yeah, there's, there's yeah. a certain thing that, that, that I've come to, which is like I, I definitely have no urgency, and I for sure don't have any ambition. Right. You know, there's there's no sometimes your management or, you, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have a manager, but my my tour manager wants to. Yeah, Graham, we should. What about doing this? I'm saying, Joe, I've got no ambitions, man. Right. I've done it all. I've <laughs> right. done it all. Right. I'm very I'm quite satisfied, actually, yeah. with what I've done. Yeah. And there's been a huge amount. It's a huge body of work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, man. Yeah. What's I, left? You know, you know? yeah, I, I can do some more again and I yeah. will do. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm at the moment. I think when COVID ends, I'm going to look at the songs I've got and say, "Man, I should have been getting on with these more, finishing mm, them maybe. while that was on." But I'm just enjoying, quite frankly, walking around <laughs> doing jack shit. I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. You know, yeah. And on both sides of the pond, I want to get to America soon, but you know, it's all yeah. a bit dodgy traveling at the moment. Sure. I'm, I'm so yeah. sticking out in London, but I can't say I've I've been unhappy. You know. Yeah. Uh, the lockdowns, the first lockdown in London, good weather. It was paradise. You could breathe yeah. the air, the canals. You could see the bottom of them. Sure. I live in a beautiful part of London. I'd bump into friends outside the local pub, which was closed. I'd walk down there swinging a pint of beer. Somebody mm. would turn up. We'd sit at distance. A six-pack would turn up. Yeah. And we're sitting in a sun trap. You know, I thought, you know what? This isn't so bad, man. Yeah. Yeah, um, I bet. Unfortunately, a lot of people were hurt badly. Yeah. And I can't say it's done my uh, my in- income any good either. Right, right. You know, because I've lost two tours of, you know, of America. but And uh, I was looking forward to that one in 2020, mm-hmm. in the spring. Mm-hmm. I was really – there were some good gigs. Mm-hmm. There was pace. There was space between them. Mm-hmm. You know, give me mm-hmm. five days off to go back to my place and hang out. Yeah. And, you know, which doesn't mean I'm idle. I'm rehearsing every day. Sure. You know, a solo a solo tour to me means I am I am rehearsing, I'm playing. Yeah. But at least I'm not rushing, right. you know, jumping for a plane every five minutes. So I, I'm I'm really upset in a way that I didn't get that tour and the COVID hits and mm-hmm. but you know the 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 people who are getting crushed by this, all these new acts that were poised, mm-hmm. you know, they they might have been poised for their career. Yeah. And yeah. suddenly kaboom, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now we've got uh, we've left the European Union, yeah. which means touring in Europe is going to cost more than it's worth. Yeah. You know, taxes in every individual nation paying taxes in those countries instead of the money coming back here to benefit Britain. You know, I'm, I'm going on record and I have done Brexit is the worst thing that yeah. I've seen in my lifetime. The biggest con, the biggest scam and the British fell down for it like like a bunch of drunks on a Friday. Yeah. Night. You know, Seventeen four four. You know, it's ripped the guts out of touring the, the yeah. British industry and hundreds of other industries. Uh, that freedom of movement to, to, to go to one border mm-hmm. and then go through five countries, all the borders covered in ivy. None of those officious little twats there who, you know, who, you know, get the drug dogs out when they see a guitar. None of that. Drive through five countries, man. All those yeah. wonderful people, the best food in the world, gone. Yeah. spacked away by this bullshit, you know. So, yeah, yeah I'm livid. And I thought, it, my my day's done, okay? I'm 70. Right. It doesn't matter about me. Right. All these young bands now have got to deal with this that, that didn't get this 
wonderful thing. You know, it would be yeah. when we started, we had all that, the carnets, the gear, the whole con- con- confusion of new borders everywhere. You know, it's so I'm, you know, talk about angry young man. I'm an angry old man. But I can tell. You know, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a, we're in a bad place this country at the moment, yeah. and uh, well, America's been America's been through a few shaky things as well, hasn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. You talk yeah. about falling for a con. I think both our countries have fallen under the spell of a con the last few years here. It's yeah, not quite... this nationalism, authoritarian shit. You know, yep. it always pounds back at you. It yep. always keeps coming back. Um, yep. So you know that's that's upsetting to me that the, these young young bands. I mean, you know, I feel bad for them. I want them to have all the opportunities that I had. Well, they don't. They don't have record yeah. companies that will sign them for four albums. And now, right. you know, doing Europe is going to be like something they can't do, like boomf, like I was doing five years ago. Right. All those countries you could fly through. So, um, so anyway, you know, it's I, anyone who's lost anybody or, or had the long COVID. You know, uh, big heart from me right now, yeah. and it's been yeah. a it's been a long haul. And uh, you know, I've got some gigs lined up for the fall in America. Fingers crossed is Good. all I can Good. say right now. Yeah, that's all yeah. I can say. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. my uh, my dad died of COVID over the holidays. I'm and so sorry. Yeah, I'm so it's sorry. a it's okay. And you know, it's ironic yeah. because he is a he was also a big Trump guy, and the the disconnect in his brain about supporting the supporting Trump, but also the mishandling of all of it that led to him possibly dying in the first place. You know what I mean? It's just, you just, people's minds are in weird places. Anyway, I could go on and on about that. I can understand that. I mean, you know, whatever he's a fan of, fine. But, you know, there was definitely this, uh, Trump's attitude was disgusting, really, about the global pandemic and the, You know that, but we were the same here, Britain. Nobody knew what to do. You know, yeah, I, yeah. Nobody knew how to take this. Right. Whatever government you were, you thought, well, this is surely going to end by summer. Right. And you know, I, I understand that. That was human nature. Sure. We've never, of course, we've never seen this, and it didn't. It, you know, no. as soon as we loosened up, it pounded and pounded. But sorry for your lost man and, and Thank anybody you. else. Thank and, you. And sorry for the loss of gigs for people who want to yeah, see gigs. Yeah, all of it. Oh but, my gosh. You know, we'll we'll be back on track. It's all going Good. to be back. I on hope track. so. You know, I, pos- positivity to everybody. Good. I hope I get to see Graham Parker at least one more time. Um, yeah, okay. Man. Last last question. This is probably the one you've been asked a billion times, but I don't know the answer, so I'm going to ask it again. Um, yeah. Why the glasses? Where did they come from? Why did you pick the, the, the aviators? What? Tell me about it. Right. Um, very simple thing. Uh, 1974, I guess, or just, yeah, it may have been just 75, I'd met Dave Robinson, who mm. became my manager, and um, but I was introduced to him, and it was like, I, you know, he told me that he'd been a roadie for Jimi Hendrix, and I thought, that's mm. enough for me, yeah. and uh, he, he'd managed these bands who I didn't know anything about, who, you know, the Brindisi Shorts, at yeah. least he'd done something, I'd never met anyone like that, I was you know, completely green to the music industry. So he's recording my songs in his studio and uh, I happened to be wearing sunglasses, Mm. dark sunglasses. And he said, you look good in those. Keep them on. He's Irish guy. And I said, and I said, yeah, all right. So I did. That was it. And and I've been stuck with this bullshit ever since. (laughs) And, And now I have to go on stage 
with very light glasses because I am going to be walking into things, <laughs> falling off steps. You know, my 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 eyesight is pretty good at distance. Uh-huh. It's reading that kills me. I, you know, uh-huh. I've got to have reading glasses. But, you know, walking on stage with a pair of black shades, yeah, a bit of a liability. <laughs> and, and nobody wants to see that. Right, right. You know, yeah. I, I don't want to, particularly me. So, but, um, you know, that's, that's, it's as simple as that. And I saw photos of myself and I said, well, that, that, that I look pretty good. Yeah. And even now, if I want to look younger and better than I do for photo shoots, I'll put on jet black sunglasses. Of course. That's, that works every time. Yeah. Yes. There, there you go. Yeah. So it, uh, it covers okay. up a wealth, it covers up a wealth of aging problems. Got it. Just, yeah, just like a goatee does a little bit. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Hey, hey, I I've, I've solved your too. problems. <laughs> All you oldies, I've solved your problems. <laughs> That's it. All right, man. You'll, uh, impress the, you'll impress the women now. Yes, you, yes. You, you, you might not be able to see them, but you'll impress right, them with your looks. Right. <laughs> right. Last question. Are you, I don't even know, are you married? Do you have a family? No, I was. No, I okay. was. I have, I, I have, my son is making much better music than me now. Nice. His name is Jimmy Parker. He has an outfit, which is basically consists of him and his uh, laptop, and, okay. and the outfit is called Icon Park, I- okay. I-C-O-N, separate word, Park, yeah. and his mu- music is so cr- creatively brilliant, nice. my jaw drops, um, uh, and and he has an, uh, got an album out now called Correctamundo, uh, and it's basically, he's put it out, it's on, you know, Spotify, it's it's on. It's not on CD. He hasn't gone that route because okay. you know that's expensive, and he's, sure. he hasn't got a record deal. It's hit. It's just him. Okay. And it's on, uh, you know, iTunes. He's interacting with me on on Twitter, Good. so uh, follow me on Twitter at, uh, at it's Graham Parker if you're not already. That's, that's right. Where all the, that's where all the best jokes are. That's right. You're a uh, fun follow for sure. Okay. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, John. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, uh, and thank you for having me. I'm not doing any interviews right now, basically. And I I just uh, thought, well, I'll just check out the show. And there was uh, what's his name on the show? I told you. I thought that was cool. Um, uh, oh. Arthur Brown. Yes, uh, Arthur Brown. I did that one recently. Yep. And I thought it was a nice chat show, you know, and and uh, and I thought, you know, I'm not I'm promoting an album, sort sure. of, I suppose, yeah. as the Five Old Souls, but it's not about that. I just thought, 
out of the blue, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm so it's glad been, you did. It's been, it's been a long time, and uh, you know, I don't. I try yeah. to do less interviews as well these days, as, as, as well as less shows. And um, it's been great talking to you, man. Thank you. You too. Thank you. If you can't tell, I love you a lot. There you have it, the great Graham Parker. I love that guy. I learned a lot. I thought I knew Graham pretty well. I thought I knew the, this is 40 story. I thought I knew where he fit in the kind of chronology of rock and roll, British rock and roll. I thought I knew who he was. And he explained himself in a way that completely made me think differently. And I already loved him. So anyway, I hope you guys heard some stuff in here that you love. It was jam-packed with music. As I mentioned, I love when Graham goes reggae. So I want to close it out with one more track of him kind of showing off that side of him. It's from the Real Macaw album. Now, as I mentioned, we're on this winning streak. Next week's guest is the lead singer of one of the biggest bands of the 80s. They were more or less a one-hit wonder in the States. A um, couple other hits here and there, smaller ones. But throughout the rest of the world, especially the UK and Europe, gigantic. And uh, he's no longer the lead singer of that band. They're not really around because of it anymore. But uh, you know the guy. You know the songs. You're going to love this story. Okay? Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man, my right-hand man, for everything. Thank you, buddy, for being my partner in this. Guys, you can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. All right? We love you. We will talk to you soon.